0: Welcome to the Imperfect Leader Podcast, a podcast for leaders in many areas of life, pastors, teachers, business owners, employers, moms and dads, real people like you and me who find ourselves leading real people. We're imperfect and we know it. I'm Scott Neal, your host. This is episode four. Today, I have the honor of welcoming a fellow leader, pastor, and most importantly, a friend, Stephen Mazel to the podcast. Welcome, Steve. Uh, th- thank you, Scott. Uh,
1: it's my honor to be here. I'm
0: excited about this. Good. I'm glad you are. Steve and I have known each other for nearly 20 years. Yeah, a long time. It's hard yeah. to believe it's been uh, two decades, but most of us, uh, well, n- both of us are old, and uh, <laughs> neither of us can remember as well as we used to. But Steve is a wonderful friend and pastor of a growing church in Edenton, North Carolina, Open Door Church. We're going to talk more about that as we get into the podcast today. But more so, Steve is a great leader and a pastor. And uh, pastor and leader are not necessarily synonymous. I know a lot of good pastors who are poor leaders, but Steve is both a rare mix. So it's a real honor to have you here today, Steve. Uh, Steve recently wrote a book called The Long Way Back. Great book, and we're gonna talk more about that in a few minutes as well. We're gonna discuss um, the book in a little detail and also why you wrote it. But first, Steve, let's uh, talk a a little bit about you. I want uh, some people who may be uh, listening today who have no idea who you are and why they should care who you (laughs) are or listen to anything you have to say. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, a little bit about your family, and how you ended up in Edenton. Because Edenton's a, s- a small town, and yes. you've traveled a lot, yes. and and here you are there. So, uh, give us a little history of who Steve is. So, I was born in Washington, North Carolina, okay. so Eastern North Carolina,
1: and frankly, because. I've lived in Eastern North Carolina except for nine months of my life. So hmm. 50 years, uh, 49 and three months have been in Eastern North Carolina. My dad was a pastor. Um, he actually had a similar path that I did, at least in the ministry. He got a pulp and paper engineer degree from North Carolina state hmm. and, uh, went to work for warehouser in Plymouth, North Carolina. Oh yeah. And, um, had been wrestling with the call of God on his life, and this was in the mid-60s, and um, I was nine months old, and we were living in Washington, and he took a church, his first church to pastor in Wallace. So I spent my entire life in a pastor's home, and um, growing up, my dad always told me and my brother, he said, if you can do anything else and be happy, you should, and I I did not like growing up in a pastor's home. I hated it. You know, I had a lot of names for it. We always lived in a parsonage. And at least until I was in high school, the parsonage was right beside the church. And so um, when I got the opportunity to do something different, I did something different. And I went to ECU, East Carolina, to get a business degree and um, started out in my own business well by the by the time i was in college i was already kind of running some type of business at one form or another and um, so i started my own business operated two or three businesses and um, finally in my own life found a place that i was comfortable answering the call of god on my own life and uh, i was actually in Auction school at the time to to get an auction license, and um, was on a short version. I was on Interstate ninety five, and God was just really dealing with me about you know my role in ministry. Should I take the next step? And um, i I there was a traffic jam or something a wreck, and I had to exit. And I was sitting there weeping, and I told God, "Okay, I'll." I'll do this, but it, there's got to be something that points me in the direction. So I turned around. This was a Sunday afternoon. I turned around and headed back to Lumberton where my dad was pastoring at the time. So I was in uh, my mid-20s, 25, 26 at this point. And um, I got in the um, got to church that night. Church was – they were they were having service. I sat down at the back, and this auditorium was – Big. It was long. It seated about 1,200 people, and my dad was up talking, and they were doing a service where they were installing teachers. They were going to pray over their teachers and leaders in the church, and just while my dad's talking, he tells his story of being called into the ministry, and um, then he doesn't know I'm in the room. Then he says, somebody in this room God's dealing with about taking the next step in ministry, and oh, man, like (laughs) he just should have thrown a dart right Right. back in the back corner where I was. And so um, I got up and went down, and I was bawling, and he was bawling. And um, so I I started in the ministry, and my first church was in the suburbs of (laughs) Cresswell, (laughs) <laughs> it was a little community called Cherry. So, if for those listening, Cresswell's a in rural eastern North Carolina. It's a town of about three hundred, and so I was three miles outside of a town of three hundred in a church that was about fifty years old. And uh, I had a business in Lumberton before I moved, and so I actually moved it to Edenton. That was, that was my connection to Edenton. Edenton was about 35 miles from where I lived, but it was the closest town of any size. Mm-hmm. And so I operated my business there while I pastored, and, and, and we'll talk about this later, but um, went through a really difficult transition in life, and because my business was in Edenton, I ended up moving to Edenton and living there at that right. point. Um, so, that's how I ended up in Edenton, I, you know, uh, and it was in that time that I figured out that eastern, northeastern North Carolina was where God really wanted me to be. There are a lot of places I could go, even today, um, but um, I really believe this is where God wants me to be because it is the rural parts of the church world are extremely neglected. Yes. And um and so that is that's where kind of where I feel my call right now in life.
0: That's great. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Yeah. I want to go back to something your dad said and I want you to open it a little bit. Okay. He said if you could do anything else other than pastor and be fine with it, right. do it. What do you, what did he mean? Do you understand that more today sure than I you do. did then? Yeah. So what do you I, think he I, meant?
1: And I, I th- he understood that for me to do this effectively that it had to be a call, and there had to be nothing else that stood the, – there there couldn't be any other options. It couldn't be like, well, if I get tired of this, I'll go do X. He knew it had to be a call because there are, there are obstacles, you know, and you're dealing with not just people. You're, you're You have spiritual issues that you're having to work through, and you have to know you're sure in your calling. And, and I think the other part of it was he wanted to make sure us as boys at the time didn't go into something, one, because he did it, or two, um, manipulate a system that we could have walked into and said, hey, we know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We can use this to better our life. We can use our dad's reputation to leverage ahead. I think he really wanted us to do this because this is what God called us to do, and there there are a lot of times that, um, were it not for the hundred percent surety that I know I'm doing what God wants me to do, I would have walked away hmm. uh, because it's um, it's too hard. It's a difficult job. It it's is. It's more
0: complicated than people uh, can imagine unless they're immersed in it. Sure. Um,
1: and, you know, there are expectations people have of you, um, you know, from the outside, like as a kid, you know, we called it the fishbowl. Right. Um, like there was this particular lady in a church my dad pastored. I still dislike her to this day a little bit. <laughs> um, but you know, her, her own kids would be the most disruptive kids in, in church, but right. if if I said anything, She would take me to my mom and say, hey, you know, and then my mom would make me apologize, you know, because there was just this expectation level of um, what it meant or what they thought it meant to be a pastor. And I will tell you that it is it's hard
0: to live up to that reputation. Sure. And uh, we had to uh, work our way through that when we first came here to Forest Park. Our children were little. Uh, Cameron was just uh, a little over two years a- of age, and Ashland, five, Evan, eight. And they were just kids. And they came and wanted to play and run through the rooms and the lobby. And, you know, they were so accustomed to being in church because we were here all the time that this building became a playground for right. them. That's right. But some of the members had a had a difficult time with the pastor's children running through the lobby. And I remember one particular day a lady you know, she, she had a, a good heart she wasn't attempting to be difficult or rude. She thought she was helpful, but she stopped Evan and looked him in the face and he was running through the lobby at eight years old and said, you're the pastor's son, you know, you need to set an example for all the other children, you know, and he had no idea what she was talking right. about. And he's eight <laughs> exactly. years old running through the lobby and, you know, now he becomes the example to all the other children in the church. And we had to work our way through that with our kids. So yeah, it's it's difficult living in that fishbowl yeah. as a preacher's kid. Yeah, it's hard.
1: And and a lot of times people don't offer you the grace or them the grace mm-hmm. of being a normal child yeah. or a normal parent um, or you know just the normal course of things. They think pastors and their wives never argue or mm-hmm. never fight, never have trouble. Um, never have stress you know you can just pray it all away and 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 there's an immense amount of pressure because you're dealing with someone's uh, earthly well-being as well as their spiritual well-being and their eternal direction and so all of those things put uh, a a massive amount of pressure on a pastor yeah
0: so you went to cherry and that was your first church and uh, did a great job there. Small town, and yet you grew a, a fairly strong church right. in the middle of that community and uh, experienced some wonderful growth and uh, friendships and you know good things happen. But uh, your ministry took a turn, sure. and it brought a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, which you detail in your, your book called The Long Way Back. Um, give us a little bit of... Um, a taste of the book. I and, and by the way, those of you who are listening, I highly encourage you to go and 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 purchase the book. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it probably at some local bookstores. Steve, yeah, is that correct?
1: It's, a, it's available at some of the Christian bookstores, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, yeah. iBooks. Yeah, yeah. Um, go
0: get it, read it. Um, I'm not asking Steve anything he hasn't already put in book format. Yeah. But you you, you had a a very difficult uh, period there, Jerry, yes. after experiencing some growth and sure. some. And some, uh, it was everything was on the way up and to the right. Yeah. It was growth. And uh, what happened? And tell us a little bit about why you wanted to eventually put it in a book form. Yeah. So, um, I don't even
1: know where to start. You yeah. know, when you start talking about this, but I, the, I had experienced a, a certain amount of success there at the church. Um, the first six months I was there, I hated it. I hated the whole place. Like, um, my ki- when I got there, my kids were the kids. You know, there yep. were seventeen the first Sunday. Um, but I I got past the hating it and and fell in love with the people and still love the people in the community. Or at least, yes, I, I, most of the people. Yep. You know, <laughs> that's still complicated at times. Understandably. Uh, but we we experienced um, an unusual amount of success, and I had a lot of opportunities to leave, um, and chose not to. You know, I, I I felt like this is where God wanted me to be, and um, then was unprepared for some things that begin to happen. Um, I detail in the book about hiring an employee, and the book's called The Long Walk Back. Right, um, and I, I detail about hiring uh, an employee um an employee and the environment i wasn't prepared for the conversations i wasn't prepared for which then opened the door for other conversations in my life that um i, I don't want to say i was naive you know i had experienced some of these things in different forms you know myself previously um but i never participated in them I knew the pain of it just didn't know you know how, how it took place and um, the, the long and the short like so I, I I tell in the book early on I committed adultery and so I, I don't like that's not easy for me to say sure. 16 to 18 years later it's yeah. not easy for me to say uh, but I, I say it early in the book because like I don't want people that are listening to this to guess okay what happened this sure. is what happened okay that's the bottom line but one of the things I wasn't prepared for is what led to that. Um, you know, I, I, I always wondered how do people commit adultery? Like, do they walk in a room and somebody's naked and say, hey, you want to have sex? And, right. you know, that's kind of how it happens. Um, what I realized is there's a lot of things that take place that make you vulnerable to that. And so in my life, there are a lot of things that took place uh, that make, made me vulnerable to that. One of the things that took place was success. Hmm. Um, I think success makes you vulnerable because when everything is up and to the right, you pretty much think you're invincible and you can overcome, you know. And in in my role, so it doesn't really matter what your job is, but in my role, you measure things by money, butts in the seat, you know, um, or people coming to Christ, or you have an impact on the community, those kinds of things. And, um, this went on for two years um, and prior to my resigning and those things were still happening which only reinforced my belief that i was invincible and uh, so so success probably was one of the problems you know had had i been struggling in other places i might would have been afraid that this would have been the end but i thought you know you, you begin to think nothing's gonna you know Take, take me out. Um, I, the conversations I wasn't prepared for like I tell everybody today like I've had this conversation probably five times in the last two weeks in different environments. Almost every sin can be retraced back to a conversation hmm. almost all. you can the, the original sin can be traced back to a conversation like she didn't go eat the tree eat, eat of the fruit herself first. She had a conversation first, and that conversation compromised her. And she, you know, began to think about things that she wasn't thinking about prior to that conversation. And I I think that almost all sin can be traced back to a conversation. And I think it's one of the critical reasons why we have to guard our conversations. We're not often prepared for what those conversations will open the door to we begin to think about things we begin to see possibilities and so for me it was the conversations that opened the door and like one of the conversations that i detail in the book is we were having a conversation my wife was in the car we were talking about um the movie, I think it's called "In uh, Indecent Exposure," uh, "Indecent uh, Maybe Maybe Indecent Proposal." I don't remember now, um, but it, it, it's the uh, the the guy in the story offers a man a million, a man and a woman a million dollars for him to be able to sleep with his wife, and um, the you know the the conversation went to, I don't know what I would do if I was offered a million dollars. Okay, and that seems innocent, you know, that seems like a an honest open answer but it opened the door for more conversations later what would what, well, what would you do for a thousand dollars or you know and, and it was all in fun but the the conversations led to uh what eventually became a relationship and and, and, and adultery and then when you become tied up in that situation um there it complicates life you know can can i ask you a question about that then Mm -hmm. we'll
0: go back to that story because i want to go through some of the details there and and show how god has done an incredible work in your life um so obviously today you're very aware Mm -hmm. of conversations
1: Um, absolutely
0: there are people listening who may be experiencing some of those playful conversations now whether they're at work or uh, at the gym um or maybe it's a pastor listening, or his wife listening, or whatever. Um, what advice do you give when one of those conversations begins to be what at the beginning seems playful, um, but it's it's on the edge, it's teetering, it's a little tempting. To talk about some things that may be inappropriate. What, what, what's your advice to that young leader? It doesn't have to be a young leader, but a seasoned leader. Yeah. What, what would you say to them from what you've learned? Run, get away. Yeah. So run
1: go. is the simplest answer. Sure. You know, obviously, it's uh, Joseph is a great example in the Bible. But the case I always make about Joseph was he was close enough in the conversation she could take his coat. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so it, it if you. In Joseph's case, he allowed himself to get close enough that he got away, but his reputation still suffered harm because of it. Mm. And so, you're like you—you may say, "Well, nothing wrong happened," but your reputation can be tarnished even when you do—you don't commit adultery, or you don't, you know. T- take the drug, or you d- right. whatever the you know the the situation, or you don't steal the money. Just having the wrong conversation can tarnish your re- reputation, and so yeah, it runs the easiest answer. I would tell you something that I do uh, now is I tell my wife in my situation. So two specific times in the last ten years, um, there there was some I was in a place that I was uncomfortable and I went I went home immediately and said hey this is what happened this is what was said this is how it went down it made me uncomfortable I want you to know and um in in one of the situations particularly it happened and, and it wasn't anything I said it was just something that took place that just really was strange to me I actually told my staff, I said, Hey, guys, this is what happened. It made me really uncomfortable. I want you to know about it and I want you to to be aware so that you can hold me accountable. You know, if you see something out of line or out of place, I want you to be able to walk up to me and say, Hey, you know, you you, you need to avoid that situation. And so I think um, one of the things I didn't have at that point in my life with somebody to talk to, I probably had a couple of people in my life I could have talked to, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't sure I could talk to them, and some of it was because I had an image that I felt like I had to protect. Sure, You know, so if I talk to these people, what are they going to think? What's their response going to be? You know, obviously, I was a part of a denomination. Um, The two people I can specifically think of right this minute were other pastors. Are they going to turn on me? Mm -hmm. You know, are they going to... Um, turn me in, you know? Are they going to help me? Um, and 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 so
0: I think having somebody that you can say this is what happened. So so fear of rejection stops a lot of people from reaching out. Oh saying, sure, it help does me. yeah yeah, uh,
1: or, or rejection or judgment. Yeah, you know I I ju- uh, you know that's the other side of it is you think that people are going to judge you. I, and looking back on it. I think there were some even even some leaders in my church including um a former pastor that I, I mentioned as we were talking right. before we started that had I gone to and said, "Hey, this is this is where I'm at in life and I want to fix this. Um will you help?" He would have helped. Hmm. And but I didn't, you know, because I I felt like I, I wanted people to see me as this person, not. Now I'm different. Now I'm complete. Yeah. That that approach to life. You're like, a different person. Yeah. You you can choose to think what you want of me. I'm going to lay it on the line. This is right. this is who I am, and um and but but I think people are afraid of of rejection and judgment, uh, and that's one of the reasons they don't get the help. And what I want to, I, I really wish I could tell everybody that was listening that that most there are some people that want you to fail okay mm-hmm. let's let's be clear about that i there's no question that there will be some people if you talk to they would be happy to ruin your life but for the most part people want you to succeed yeah. and they want to help you figure out whatever it is you're in and so seek out some help yeah don't don't run from
0: it so you've learned over these last 18 years that people are more understanding yes. than you thought.
1: Yes, more grace-filled. Way more grace-filled. Yeah, yeah. one of the things is most of them have those same things going on in their own life. Hmm. You know, um, I find that um, you know I always think back to Jesus and Thomas. Um, Jesus for Thomas pulled, showed him his scars. He said, "Look, this is it. This is this is where I took it in the side. This is where I took it in the hands." And Thomas struggled to believe until he saw those scars and I found in my own life that people re- respond well when when you open up and show them their scars but I, I saw in my uh, you know where I'm at now I, I recall this particular lady just putting her arms around Barbara and I and uh, saying look, you know all of us have been in the ditch at one time or another. That's the truth of it is all of us have
0: been in the ditch yeah. most of us are just hiding it That's so good yeah well the um the person out there struggling right now uh on the edge being tempted thinking about it um you would advise them to go to somebody right now yes immediately don't let it go any further and be honest be transparent tell them the truth about where you are what you're being tempted uh either to uh to do or not do or or whatever and um you, you would say that most of the people will receive them well. Most people yeah. will, I, and there's no question, you and
1: I both know that yeah. there are people who mean harm, but in general, people mean good, and they, yeah. would, they want to see you fix it, right? Not, um,
0: not be stuck in it. I'm sure a lot of the, um, the fear you had, I was sitting here just thinking about it as a kid growing up, and you and I both grew up in the same church yeah. environment, um, we came from a holiness tradition, sure. mm-hmm. and who idolized, if you will, pastors who seemed to be perfect. Right, they had a strong prayer life. They stayed in scripture all the time. They were holy men. Um, we couldn't even imagine our pastor, as I was a ch- when I was a child, even imagine our pastor right. being tempted sexually, or even to consider, you know, adultery, or um, you know, stealing money, or whatever. Yeah. So we grew up in an environment and like that that reiterated that over and over and over again, idolized people who had it together, who walked in God's presence. At least it appeared that way all the time. So when you know we were married and we started having temptations or struggles within our marriage, we just assumed that something's wrong with us. Because the real men of God didn't struggle with those right. things. So that's the stuff that reinforced that fear inside of you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in that um, joint history we have, that the holiness movement, I think they were, what they got right was the avoidance of mm-hmm. a lot of things. What they got wrong was the presentation that everybody was perfect. Right. And, and, what I try to tell people now is, first of all, avoidance is not a bad thing. Right. You know, uh, st- staying away from things that can be harmful is not a bad. That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad lifestyle to live. But making a presentation that everybody that's saved, if you pray enough, read your Bible enough, you're going to have this perfect life, and you're never going to be tempted, and you're never going to struggle, and there's never going to be a problem—is a bad idea. And um, and the church was often a place for perfect people. It wasn't a place where people could come and find help. And, you know, I think a a lot of that had an influence on me, you know, um, in my unwillingness to, to get the help that I needed. I look back, like I said earlier, I recognize that there are lots of people who are willing to help. I just didn't see it. You know, I, the Sunday before no yeah, probably the Sunday before I resigned or two Sundays before I resigned. I'll never forget it. This guy this guy walked into my office and said, "Can we talk?" I said, "Sure." He said, "I'm hearing some rumors about you. Is it true?" And I, my response was, "Good god, absolutely not." You know, What I what I in hindsight look back was he was I don't in in his case I don't think he was looking for information or confirmation. I think he was looking to salvage my Hmm. ministry. And um, but I rejected him. You know I didn't because you know it it requires a certain amount of risk to open up to somebody. Because and, you don't
0: know what they're going to do. That's
1: right. You don't know what their it response go is going to be. Exactly. You know, they they may be Jonathan or they may be Saul. You know, and you just don't know what that response is going to be. They may throw a dagger or they may hide you. Right. Um, and I, what I believe though is there are a lot more Jonathans than there are mm-hmm. Sauls out there. There are a lot of more people who I don't mean they want to hide. You know, um, but in in. Let's use this ratio, you know, um, in, in the story of Noah, uh, Noah got planted a vineyard, he got drunk, one of his sons walked in and, and went out and told it. Mm-hmm. Two of his sons backed in and covered him up. So that, even in that story, you know, the, the Bible later says, talks about love covers a multitude of sins, which is a great illustration of that. Um, even in the story of Noah and his own sin, there were more people who wanted to cover him than there were who were want to expose him. And I think that's the way in, in, in the real world. There are a lot more people who want to cover you than there are a lot are people who want to expose you. You just have to make sure you, you, you choose those right people. And the best time to know who those people are are before you have trouble.
0: Mm. You know, How do you discover those people?
1: In my world, okay, so in our world, church world, I think um, being involved in uh, community groups, small groups, having co- uh, regular conversations, ongoing conversations with people, you know. So you're saying the pastor needs to be involved. Sure, sure. No, I think the not pastor not just come preach, uh, leave, absolutely not, but
0: get involved in the yeah. life of the people. Yeah,
1: have have people that you can have a conversation with. Um, you know you, you that you say that I, I, I grew my dad always had friends in the church mm-hmm. but I heard lots of pastors saying you can't have close friends in the church yeah. that you pastor well I have come to figure out that that's a stupid idea yeah. um, if you can't be friends with the people that you're pastoring you probably can't be friends with anybody it's true and um and, and so, yes, even the pastor needs to have those relationships inside of that church because, you know, one of the things I think pastors fail to, to realize is that those people that you're pouring into every week appreciate the fact that you're pouring into them. And if they ever have the opportunity to pour back into you to help you, they want to find a way to do that. Yep. You know, that's often expressed with a meal or a gift or a card but what they, what I find is those people really respond with um, care and concern, and I think so. In in a in a, if you're involved in the church world, having those relationships, building those
0: relationships ahead of time. You know, don't don't isolate yourself. And also, if you have these, um, what I've learned is you have these friends around you. They see you when things are good. Yes. So if things begin to change. They can sense something's wrong. Absolutely. They watch you and your wife interact. They know you're not perfect. They know that you are, you know, hopefully a little further down the road when it comes to a healthy marriage than maybe the average Mm -hmm. person. And they watch how you interact with her. They watch how you interact with your children. Uh, If something changes and there's a coldness that begins to settle in, they begin to notice you treat her differently or you used to sit beside her you used to interact with her, and now you seem to be a little bit more interested in someone else, they could call you out in a very sure. loving way. Come into your office and say, hey, Pastor, I just noticed there's some things different, and I don't know what it is. That's but right. if you're never around the people in real life, and they never watch you interact with your wife or your children, that isolation is a breeding ground for sure. secrets and, and, and poison to continue to just
1: you know and a lot of times you know people will say i never saw that coming yeah well the only time you didn't see that coming is if you're not in relationship like right. if, if nobody it, 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 it's the people that you're not in relationship with people that i'm in relationship with like i spend time with on a regular basis you're right you can see those changes you know you'd know when there's stress you know when um, they're yeah. you know, the pain when they're broken and it's important to create an environment where people can open up. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're not, uh, if you're listening to this and you're a leader outside of the faith world, um, there are plenty of places where you can find um, camaraderie and openness and accountability. Uh, either with the people that you work with or professional organizations or other professionals that you, uh, because most people want other people yeah. to succeed, yeah.
0: not fail. I think about the people sitting in our churches every week who, um, you know, are receiving truth from us as pastors and being challenged to live a better life. They want you to succeed because right. if you mess up, their life is impacted as well. They don't want your church to go through a storm and lose people. And so they have your best interest in That's mind. Right. Uh, so they're going to rally around and help you That's all right. they possibly can.
1: Sure. And I, I think we just don't realize that. Yeah. You know, we we, we are afraid they're going to judge us, yeah. not help us.
0: Yeah. Well, when, when everything came down around you when you were Pastor Needham tonight, there, I mean, excuse me, and Cherry, I would imagine you never uh, could envision yourself pastoring again today and doing the, the 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 job you're doing and seeing the people's life change. Um, was there a sense of hopelessness that first settled around you, or how did you feel in that moment? The,
1: the this was the, this took some time to play out. Yeah you know um the i call the the reason i call the book the long walk back as i um went and sat in waffle house with a mutual friend of ours sure. and and i told him um i want to marry somebody else and the only question i had at that point was not can i preach again yeah. you know not can i serve in a church again is uh, the question i want to ask was can i do this and ever be right with God again. Mm-hmm. And his response was yes, but you'll have to walk so far away from God that the walk back will be a long one. And I, and I and I genuinely don't believe he had any idea. Maybe he did. Maybe maybe he has a better grasp of that than than I realize. Obviously he had a grasp enough of it to say it. But man, I don't I lived it. Yeah. And um and so what i for me to be able to do what i chose to do i had to walk far enough away from god that i was able to at least suppress what we call conviction you know mm-hmm. the that hey this is this is stupid buddy yeah. i don't think that's how god talks to us but I think that's how he was yeah. talking to me. Okay, so um, I've heard a, that voice though. So <laughs> maybe, maybe he does. <laughs> and and uh, and and so I I found myself not in church, and, and and I'll be honest with you. No, I being in ministry again at, after a few months. I mean, the, the first few months there was this whole reconciliation, go through restoration kind of process that was, and, and but. I never did that, you know. I never, never succeeded at that. Um, But I, I, there was a complete lapse of church, you know, in my life. I I would go, but I was not involved. Um, And and really, at some point, I just wanted to be right with God. I didn't really care about ministry. So yeah, I I don't even know that that was a hope, you know, or or a lack of hope. The only thing I wanted to know was could could I be right with God? And and so we eventually started attending church together, Barbara and I did. And uh, when we mo- when we finally moved to Edenton, um, and we were attending a church in the denomination that you know I'd been a part of, um, out of obligation, you know, um, boy, I'm probably getting ready to walk out into some murky waters here. But I I wasn't going for help because I wasn't getting it. And that's no offense to those people. There were people in that room that were getting help. I just wasn't getting it there and don't know that I had any hope of getting it there. That I mean I'm just being honest. And um uh, and so what I'm getting what I what I want to say to people is if you are in an environment where you are not finding you, you're not getting the support and the hope and the help that you need. You need to find a place that you can, yeah. you know, because I was just there. Like I was going through the motions of, okay, I need to be in church. I'm doing this because I need to. But, man, my life is not really What, what Was this
0: out of guilt? You felt, hey, I should be Obligation. in church? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It was it was like, you know, I, I grew up like church – is the first requirement for salvation. And As a matter of fact, if you go to church, you can't backslide, kind of right. thing. I, I mean, that's not how they said it, but you know, mm-hmm. it was it was very similar to that. You know, because I you, you know, we may talk about this later as challenges for church, but what people call regular church attendance now, yeah. I, I go more. I went more in a month as a yeah. kid than they go in a year, <laughs> and true. so you know, <laughs> me too. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and that was that. I, I I equated church with spirituality and, and I still do. There's nothing wrong with that. But um I wasn't solving the spiritual problem. I was just there out of obligation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, you begin go, going to a small church, mm-hmm. not receiving the help you need. Yeah. You eventually leave yeah. and you begin attending uh together the church you're currently pastoring. Yeah. yeah. So to tell you how that went down Easter's
1: Saturday night before Easter, 2005, mm-hmm. um, Barbara and I were getting married in July, so we were still a few months away from being married, but it was Saturday night before Easter. Um, I had knew a little bit about this church, Open Door. I'd never been there, knew um, a, a little bit of the history, actually had contributed to their building fund when they were building the, their building of which they had moved to just a few months prior in 2004. And there was a couple there that was going to church there that I knew. They were the only people in the church I knew that I used to pastor at Cherry. Hmm. And I want to speak to some people who I, I think may be dealing with the same things I was. I called him on the phone, and I said, we're really struggling, and we need some help. And we're considering going to open door tomorrow. I said, I want to make sure I won't be an embarrassment to you if I come to church. That was really the only thing I was concerned about. I didn't want to embarrass somebody else because of my sin. And um, his response to me was, you know, you're not coming to preach. You're not coming to lead. You you know, you you need help. I'm happy for you to be there. I'll be there waiting on you. And, um, And so Easter Sunday, 2005. We started attending Open Door. Um, we weren't married. It was me and Barbara, and I'm sure Cam- – I know Cameron was with us. I don't know who of the other kids went that day, but Cameron was living with us at the time, and uh, that was our very first Sunday there. Yeah.
0: Had no idea eventually you'd be pastoring oh, the church. no, no. That's amazing that never that, crossed my uh, mind. Right. Yeah, you know. That, so you begin that, attending, yeah. and um, you are married that coming July, Summer, mm-hmm. and then you continue to, to be a part of the church. Sure. To become part of the life of the church. Yeah. Just a member well, of yeah, the church.
1: Yeah. So we, we were there. Um, you know, I, I, obviously, I sing a little, I have a little bit of sure. musical ability. And um, the guy who was leading worship. At the time when I got there my first Sunday, it's still funny to me to think about. There was a, a grand piano, an older lady played it, Mama Lou's, still comes to church. There was a guy playing a banjo, and there was a keyboard. That yeah. was the music that day. And it's still – I'm laughing now because it's humorous to me. But the guy who was playing the keyboard, he said, I heard you play the drums. Would you like to play the drums? This is for several months in. Yeah. and. Um, I said, "Well, sure," I, and I was thrilled to have an opportunity to serve. You know, because right. we were married, I felt like we were going in a good direction. I was like, yeah, "This is awesome! Yeah, I'll I'll play," and so I played. And then, um, I don't know, early two thousand six, maybe. Um, the, he, the guy that's leading worship, they just they they stopped. They said, "Okay, I'm 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 not leading worship anymore." And they came to me, the pastor, well, the associate pastor at the time, Pastor Troy. And he said, uh, would you be willing to lead worship? And I said, yeah, I guess so, uh, you know. And so um, I, I started playing the keyboard and leading worship in 2006, and um, just became a, an integral part of, the, the church became a part of my life. We've yeah. we Some incredible relationships were born out of that. I will tell you that what probably the thing that kept us at Open Door, let me back up a little bit before I started playing or singing, they did Sunday night services at the time, and uh, there were 15 or 20 of them that would go to the Tasty Freeze after mm-hmm. service, you know, it's a common church thing to go eat. And um, and one Sunday night we were there, and this couple walked across the aisle and said, hey, some of us are going to eat, would you come with us? And that was the first time I felt included. Mm-hmm. Um, A um, couple years ago, Barbara and I had those, that couple and another couple that were a part of that to our house for dinner, and I, and I told them that night um, that had they not walked over to us and invited us for a meal, um, we probably would not have stayed at open door. Wow. That was where we felt included. That was where we felt like, hey, they invited us in. And what I would love to say to to people that are listening is um, some of you need to walk across the aisle and invite some people in. Um, There are some people sitting in your environments, whether it's church or work or uh, social clubs or sporting parenting groups, whatever that looks like, who feel like outsiders. They are, are trying to figure life out and um just saying hey will you go have a meal with us may make all the world of difference in that person's life and um out of that group or or that we went to eat with that night those people are still our friends i mean we travel the world with some of them you know and um I, that was a real turning point. You know, I could, I could go back to, you know, I played the drums or I started leading worship. But I'll be honest with you, had somebody not invited us in, had somebody not helped us feel like we were apart, um, we probably stay on the fringes, may trickle off somewhere else. And I, I, that's just invaluable. And for you people that are listening that are in a good place, don't be exclusive. Invite some people in. It really made a difference. Um, but I started leading worship, and then I preached a couple of times. You know, um, which was like I never thought I would do this again. You know, and my wife, Barbara, she would always tell me, "I'm never going to be a pastor's wife. I'm never going to be." a pastor. She said that to me thousands of times, and there were lots of reasons for it. You know, because she had this picture of what a pastor's wife looked like and what they had always been. We were in a good environment there at Open Door because um, the pastor's wife set a really good place for her to be able to feel comfortable. And then um, in 2007, in the summer of 2007, um, there was a group of spirit-filled Methodists that had started their own churches, about 120 of them, down in New Hope. Um, which is pretty much the end of the world you know you go to hertford turn windfall turn left and drive as far as you can right and, um, and it's called new hope new hope yeah or no hope some <laughs> people call it no hope but uh, anyway you uh we i went down there and started preaching every sunday and they asked me to be their pastor and um at the same time uh, while we were there uh, rick um, ricky bishop was a pastor at open door he said Will you come back here and serve on staff? So, like, I went from wondering if I would ever preach again to suddenly having two offers to to serve in church, yep. and I was like, "Hey, where did this come from?" And um, and I went through a really long process to make a, a long story short. I thought I was going to go to New Hope and ended up staying at Open Door, which taught me some invaluable lessons. Uh, that served me well today, because I, I truly believe I wouldn't be the leader I am today of a a, a good sized church and with a with a a big staff really for our size church. Um, had I not served on staff for yeah. a while, yeah. you know, had I had gone down the New Hope and been the guy, um, I don't know that I would have related to that other person as well. But I I think I have a better grasp of those. The, the people who don't have they don't sit in the first chair mm-hmm. you know so they get less of the credit and a lot of the blame you know and uh and they feel like they work and nobody pays attention you know so i i, I, I think i relate to that better because of that and and so that, so
0: you were on staff for mm-hmm. how long at open door before you became lead pastor J-
1: January 2008 uh, was when i started and in June of 2010, so it was my birthday of 2010, I got off an airplane, I'd been preaching in New Mexico, and my phone was blowing up. And um, came back, the elders had some meetings, and the pastor took a sabbatical, and he never came back, he never came back to pastor. And officially, uh, I became the pastor of Open Door when they, they had to go through a process, and then they voted. October tenth, two thousand ten. So a week ago, hmm. uh, I
0: celebrated seven years as lead pastor there. Awesome. Now, when you came in, let's talk some leadership stuff here okay. for some people who who can benefit greatly by this. No doubt, you had some pressing issues facing you. Um, you wanted, you know, you knew Open Door. You had been on staff, so you probably had some dreams and some passions about where you, you know. Um, Envision the church going right. and what you wanted to see happen. What were a few of the issues you faced when you first became lead pastor there?
1: <laughs> well, th- there's a couple of things. O- on the direction side, um, I had a lot of leeway in the role that I had. My-, my title at the end was executive pastor. So I had a lot of influence on structural changes of the church. And, uh, uh, you know, I was leading worship so I had some influence on the direction of music, you know, by this time we have a full band. Um, the, the first big challenge I had was the transition. Um, literally. So, you know, we, we've we have a lot of people who come to church, but on a business meeting, nobody shows up. Mm -hmm. We still have an annual business meeting and the church has to vote on a pastor. So annual business meeting, we might have 40 or 50 people out of hundreds, Well, that night, the building was packed out, and it had to have 80% for me to be elected pastor, and I became pastor, and that night, I don't know, somewhere between 60 and 80 people walked out and never came back. Hmm. And so that was the first challenge, is the, the, the transition was not comfortable. It was very difficult. I had to deal with probably... 20% Twenty
0: percent of the congregation walking out. Let me ask you: with the the people walking out was that just because they were shocked that the pastor never returned from sabbatical, or they just didn't want you to become the pastor? They knew your past, they knew why you were there, or it was what? some of all of okay. it. You
1: know, there there were uh, there was probably uh, some of it was the people loved Rick and yeah. and he was he was really well liked by by a lot of people, um, and. All transition creates a certain amount of turnover. Mm-hmm. No I mean you you know as well as I do. If I if if we have a turnover in a staff member, yeah. there's gonna be certain transition that takes place in in personnel because it becomes the tipping point for yeah. some people. So for some people um, they they felt like this is the way I, I defend Rick or this is the way I stand up for him. you know they didn't you know, know whether nobody they, they may have made assumptions about what took place. and so this is the way I stand with him. For others, um, in the role that I had, I was the bad guy. Hmm. you know so if there were changes, I was the one that had to lead it and the, and we had made a lot of changes leading up to that. And so some of those people were like, "I dislike him because he's the one that brought us life groups and two services and no Sunday school and right. no Sunday night service." I'm not following so him.
0: So, somewhat out of protest yeah. of what you've already done to the church. That's correct.
1: Yeah, and 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 then some of it was because of my past. You know, yeah. I, I I I a man went to um, and I will tell you this: in this is my position when people if they ever say it to me. Uh, And it's oddly enough, it's a question I always ask an interviewee when they're coming to work at the church. This man told one of our deacons, he said, he's been married before, he's remarried, I don't think he should have this job, I can't come here. Well I respect that, if that's your position, if you believe that's right. Um, I I don't argue with people, and and when I interview people for a position, I, I ask them, a couple of questions and one of the questions specifically that I want to know is what's what's your take on ministers being divorced and remarried? Do you have a problem working with one? Because I you know, I think people can make the case if they choose to scripturally that You can or can't. That's perfectly fine if that's the place you take. And so some of them was it was a protest to that. It was an objection to either me being divorced or remarried, or he's committed adultery or whatever. Or you know, it just became the tipping point. And so that was really the first challenge: is how do I rally the people um, when there was there was there was a certain amount of fracture in the congregation? And so that was my first real challenge. And then um, the next real challenge was we need to staff up you know there are a couple of positions that we need to address and we need to try to make them better and uh if you ask me what my greatest challenge was then and greatest challenge is now is staffing always Hmm. always is it's just that concept of hiring the right person
0: so is there is there a common theme as far as the staffing issues is it hiring the wrong person chemistry issues competency issues what have you found to be the most challenging
1: Sometimes it's competency, competency issues. The, the one thing I will say is that if you do your homework, you're not going to miss the competency issues. Okay. The places where we've had competency problems, we just didn't do our, our legwork. Right. Um, chemistry issues are different. You can't always see that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't interview for chemistry. And you can, I mean, like you can gauge certain mm-hmm. things you can ask questions but in you know before we hire somebody they essentially spend two full weekends with their family in our community with lots of leaders at our church you can still miss that chemistry thing you know if you bring me in for a weekend I can preach your socks off yeah. I might not can do it every weekend right. but I got at least one that yeah. you're gonna go hey that's pretty good right. you know and 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 so you know the the chemistry thing you can't figure can't always figure out the challenge in the church is we preach grace and show mercy we hire the wrong people but we fail to let them go yeah. that's a real leadership struggle in the church because we feel like the greatest pains, for me as a leader in staffing, were times that I did not let people go, soon enough. Yeah. that that's been the greatest. You think
0: part of that is your own story of just knowing where your struggles were and needing grace, and therefore sure. you show yeah, mercy. Yeah, some,
1: some of that is is that, and some of it is as a, every leader thinks that they can turn a mm. duck into an eagle. Mm. And um, John Maxwell says. If he walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, gets a duck. That's right. And you don't take ducks to eagle school. Yeah. And but we do. Yeah. We still do. And I, so I think some of my grace and mercy and the, the, that that's been extended to me turns out into that. But I'm 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 certainly I'm, I'm open with our leadership that hey I've made some mistakes here on the firing side, mm-hmm. or that's that's a strong word. You know the less. Let's find something else for you to do. You'll be better off and we'll be better off. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Let me ask you a few more questions. Um, What would you say is a current issue in leadership you're facing? Maybe something right now you're looking at and saying, wow, I need to read up on this. I'd love to talk to a mentor of mine about this. It's just something currently you're working your way through.
1: Well, there's probably a couple of things that like are pressing in on me right now, but the the there's a bigger issue that for me that okay. I'm, I'm struggling with. So, we're we're going into a capital campaign. It's my first one as a pastor in mm-hmm. 20 years, so that's a new adventure for me. Um, it's budget time, so yep. those things are pressing in on on me. But uh, from an overarching theme, that the, the biggest problem that I find as a pastor is that my people have. Uh, political religion. Hmm. Um, Too many people in sitting in the pews are so tied to a political ideology that it is they're trying to make their Christianity match Hmm. uh, being a Republican or a Democrat and not trying to match their political ideology to what Jesus said. And for me, that is the. It creates tension in conversations. It creates pressure in the church. And if somebody that is, it's crazy. Like, like I will see people object to leaders who have a different political ideology than they do, solely because of the political ideology. It has nothing to do with whether they're biblically qualified or whether they're a good leader. It's like, well, they're liberal. Mm-hmm or they're conservative or yep. they're republican and and it's it really is a challenge and 24-hour news channels only feed it yeah. you know we find the one that solidifies our, our I I I I think I made a post the other day that I I think America's current religion is 24-hour news channels you yes. know you find the one that appeals to your biases and then you, you you watch it and worship and I, at its altar. That's right. Yeah. And I, I see that as the that's a real challenge in the church today. It is we are allowing the church is allowing politics to take us away from what Jesus said yep. and to divide us from accomplishing what Jesus told us to accomplish. The fact is, if you read the Bible, sometimes it's going to make you look like a bleeding-heart liberal, mm-hmm. and other times it's going to make you look like the most conservative Republicans right. ever walked the face of the earth. That's right. You're going to be some of both. You can't be one or the other and follow after Jesus. That's just the bottom line.
0: Yeah. And, um, and, how, and How are you addressing some of this? You just kind of sprinkle it into your messages. Have you done a series recently on it? Yeah, so last or, year
1: we did a series called This is How You Should Vote. Hmm. Um, where we talked about so when when Moses um, is stressed about leadership and he and and his father-in-law tells him you need to divide it up he tells gives him four characteristics of a leader and um, we we talked about those four characteristics. This is what a leader should look like. If if he's going to be a leader of the country, this is what he should look like. And then. Um, we did a series at the beginning of the year called hot topics where we talked about the the pressure topics of, of the world um, and and yeah sometimes they're sprinkled in you know you, you know me well enough sometimes it's a sprinkle and sometimes it's a punch in the mouth yeah. it just depends on you know the approach that I'm taking um, but, but uh, that, that's I, it, it is something that is really troubling me because um, I I am... I am really bothered by how people are so committed to politics and so uncommitted
0: to Jesus. That's good, Steve. Yeah. Let me ask you a few other questions. I could do this part that we're talking about right now all day. <laughs> I know. Uh, we'll move on. Um, what, what is a common myth about pastoring? You know, you've done this so long, you grew up in a pastor's uh, home. Um, the people sitting out in the seat might look at a pastor. We've covered some of it, like, yeah. you know, you're perfect and you've got everything figured out. But what is something you wish you could just get across to the average person sitting in the pew? Well, there's a probably a lot
1: of things I could say. That perfection yeah. issue is is something that really is, is a pressing myth. The, 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 the other thing... There's probably a couple other things that I think are important. One, they think you have all the answers, Hmm. and you don't. You know, people will come to you um, expecting you like you have some direct connection to God, and they ask you some crazy question. You're like, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The other thing is, uh, the other myth about pastoring is that uh, all of our theology is settled. Hmm. That I think people think, okay, they're this, mm-hmm. and that's where they're always going to be. You know, I preached a sermon a few months back, and I literally, when I got up to preach it, this is what I said, this was my introduction. Guys, this is I'm getting ready to preach something to you that I haven't always believed. I used to see this a different way. And I wanna tell you before I preach it that I may not always see it this way later, but this is how I see it right now and this is how I'm delivering it. Right. And, you know, um, that's they, they think that there is no change. That no. you 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 okay, if you believe this, you're gonna be this forever. And um I will tell you that probably in my life one of the things that is constantly evolving is my view of Scripture and my understanding of Scripture. Obviously, I didn't go to a seminary. I went to ECU. Their view of the Bible was a little bit different <laughs> than than the other places. Um, but I, you know, I, my my the way I see the Bible, the way I see the things Jesus says. Um, it's constantly evolving. What my expectations are, uh, uh, and what I think his expectations are of me, and I think that's a myth. That that people in the pew think we've got everything settled. Right. And the reality is, you and I know we have lots of conversations. Everything's not settled. That's right. You know, there's still a lot of mystery. There's still a lot of evolution to take care and take place in our belief system and so I think
0: that scares people it does because they they want to be able to answer the questions and uh, 20 years from today the answers are still the same um, and what I've learned is um, not that all my answers have changed so much as that I have learned to ask new questions that's right and my questions have gotten better over mm-hmm. the years I'm hopeful therefore things have expanded sure I remember a piece of advice I picked up a a few months ago, this person said, if you quote me, date me. <laughs> because uh, 10 years from today, if you use that quote, I may not actually believe that That's at right. that time. So make sure you write a date beside the time I said that because I am evolving and changing and learning and growing So uh, that's so true, Steve. I I think back to 16 years ago when I first came to Forest Park, some of the messages that I preached then, it's not that I look back at them and go, I don't believe any of that. That's not true at all. But I I certainly have expanded since then. And the truth that I presented then, most of that is still truth, but the nuance of the truth is different, and Mm -hmm. it's become more detailed and intricate and hopefully deeper. And... um, one of the things I've learned about education is the more educated you become, the more ignorant you realize you are. Mm-hmm. And um, the older I get, really the less certain I am about a lot of things. That's right. And that's scary to yeah. a lot of people. I,
1: uh, John Maxwell says he, he's a, the older he gets, the less certain he is about most things. Yeah. But the more certain he is right. about a few things. That's right. And I would find that to be the case in my own life. Yep. Like there, the older I get, I turned fifty this year, yep. and the older I get, um, the more um, things I'm willing to allow to be gray. Mm-hmm. But the things that I consider to be all right, this is settled. I'm more sure about them today than ever before.
0: Yeah, so good. Two more questions. Sure, we got time. I'm okay, good with whatever you have, yeah. None of this is a huge question. Okay, mm-hmm. so just just a couple of thoughts. If it were possible to roll back time mm-hmm. and go back to 21-year-old Steve Mazzell, getting ready to get into ministry full-time, I'm not sure. Where, where were you at 21? Um, I was in college, okay. but I had my own business. Okay, and knowing what you know now, and you could go back to that 21-year-old, what what are a couple of things you would say to him? What would you wish he knew then? So
1: this is a man. I'm trying not to be overly carnal, but there's a couple of specific things that um, stick out to me. Okay. Um, one of them I learned not many years later than that, or at least. It was taught in a very clear way. The first thing is this: um, learn to manage your money. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was, if I could go back to twenty-one again and make wise financial choices to today, my life would look a lot different mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's never too early to start being prepared for later. Yeah. Live with margin. Um, you know it's the it's the number one or number two reason for divorce, you know and so um, learn to manage your money and then be disciplined about it. The other thing is uh, has to do with the people who surround you, specifically your parents. Um, your parents are your friends, not your enemy. yeah. And um, at twenty one you think they are stupid. And ignorant and abusive and have no idea of what life is like. And I'll tell you a story that was kind of a turning point for me because I probably felt that way about my dad. There's no, I I probably thought I was smarter than he was. I realized today I was an idiot and he was pretty smart. You know, but um. I got myself in a, so this combines what I said there at the beginning, you know, the, the first thing I wish I could have done differently with the second thing, but my um, I, got, I got in a bad financial place. And I was living in Greenville at the time. My dad was in Lumberton, and I was trying to solve this dilemma that I had. And I knew a wealthy gentleman in Washington where my dad used to pastor. He was the mayor of the town. And uh, I thought he can help me, so I called, made an appointment with with him. His name was Stancil, Mister Stancil, Lily. And I went to see him, and I told him my situation, and I I don't remember what I needed. It was like five thousand dollars, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point, it seemed like a million. And I'll never forget what he said to me that day. He said, "Have you talked to your dad about this?" And I said. No, I don't think he can do anything about it. He said, but well, that's not the question I ask. He said, if you talk to your parents about it. He said, you know, your parents love you. He said, and if they can help you solve a problem, they will. He said, I tell you what, you go talk to your dad about this. He said, and if you need the money after you've talked to your dad, I'll give it to you. He said, but you got to talk to him first. And I thought, oh my God, I, you know, I'm not, a, I didn't, there's lots of things going on. I didn't want to disappoint my dad. I knew my dad wasn't financially, you know, well to do. So $5,000 had been a struggle to him. So I called him on the phone. I, I said, can I come talk to you? I drove to Lumberton. I laid it out on the table. I said, this is, this is what's going on. And I'll never forget my dad cried. Hmm. And his first question was, why didn't you come to me earlier? And um, I, I, and he got the money. He found a way wow. to get the money, which I knew really put him in a bind. But what I discovered that day was my parents were my friends, and they want me to succeed, and they don't want me out here trying to flounder on my own. It doesn't mean they were going to bail you out every time, but there's nobody in this world that loves you more than your mom and dad yeah. did. And, and and allow them into your life. You know, don't pretend like they're crazy. That's good. And, uh, and, and so if I could go back and tell my 21-year-old self two things, is your parents are your friends, and
0: nobody loves you like they do, and, and manage your money better. That's good. You know? All right. Lighthearted question. Okay. Last one for you. Uh, What what books are being delivered to your Kindle right now or mailed to your office or house? What's some stuff right now that you're just excited about getting into or maybe a book you're reading right now and you'd recommend? Yeah, so um, I have two or three
1: things going on right now that in the book world, and I'm kind of like you, I'm reading two or three at the same time. I have one that I'm looking forward to reading, one I've just started, and one I've been reading for a while and will continue to read for a while. So the one I've been reading for a while is Tools of Titans Mm -hmm. uh, by Tim Ferriss. Um, It is not a church book, so if you're listening to this and you're a pastor and you go pick it up and you find something in there that offends you, this is not a church book, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you ahead of time. It's divided into three sections, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, it's, I found some pretty neat things, yep. you know, in there. It's pretty interesting to see how people. I picked it up when you recommended it. Right. And great book. Yeah, I enjoy it. I have just started uh, Eugene Peterson's book, The Pastor. Mm. Um, I actually had, had heard it recommended several times. I bought myself a copy and uh, our campus pastor, Bertie, a copy. He dove into his first, and he tells me now, like he, I, I gave it to him about three or four weeks ago he says it's the one of the most transformative books he's ever read Wow! and then um recently i ordered a book by richard Rohr um that i haven't read yet i believe it's called the divine dance Mm -hmm. i think that's the the newest one yeah great book and so um it's on the um, trinity yeah, and yeah. So we're actually probably going to take our staff through this book. Oh, that's good. And um, and so that's that's the one I'm looking forward to. That's good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Steve, how can someone contact you? Um, my website is stephenmizell.com. Spell your last name. M-I-Z-E-L-L and Stephen with a P-H. And, and, and let me – can I tell something funny sure. here since you said something lighthearted? Um, I saw a thing. The other, sometimes people look at you strange when you say Stephen with a Ph. <laughs> and I saw an order uh, somebody had placed at a McDonald's. It was a picture of the thing where they had yeah, written on right. the ticket or somewhere. It may not been McDonald's, and they they had told the person behind the counter it was Stephen with a Ph. And they had Ph <laughs> which was just awesome. Anyway, Stephen with a Ph. m i z e l l dot com. Twitter is at Stephen Mazel. And then Facebook is uh, at Stephen Mazzele Online.
0: Excellent. Well, listen, I recommend people to pick up your book. Uh, you go into the details of your your, your struggles and the, some of the temptations and lots of advice in the book. It's yeah. not just your story. That's right. It's actually a lot of the things I was asking at the beginning, what would you recommend, how would you help. So someone can read your book and see, uh, learn from some mistakes you made. Right. And you're looking back on that and you're reflecting back saying, you know, here's what I did. This is the truth. This is raw. Um, It's just partly embarrassing. But you can learn from what I did. Sure. And also, God is a God of grace and mercy and restoration. So I highly recommend you to pick the book up. Uh, the long walk back, yeah. and you can get it at Amazon. You can get it uh, from Barnes and Nobles, different places. And you even had a signing recently. I did. A, I've local, done a couple of them, yeah. Local bookstore, Needington, right? Yeah. Christian book. So sales. somebody would contact you and say, "Hey, would you mind signing a book and mailing it to me? I'll buy I'll be it." Happy to do that. Great. Yeah, that's right. Great. Well, Steve, thanks so much uh, for being here. Um, I could talk with you all day just yeah. about leadership and things we're learning right now, and that's some right. books we're processing. And look forward to seeing you continue to grow and do a great job there in Edenton and Open Door. Well, thank you for listening to Episode 4 of the Imperfect Leader Podcast. There are hundreds of podcasts you could listen to, and you've chosen to listen to this one. Thank you. If you enjoyed it and found it helpful, please share it with a friend or recommend others to check it out. Also, if you could go by iTunes and uh, give us a review, that would be awesome. And leave some comments. I read each one. We want to make the podcast more helpful, more interesting for you, and we want to improve it. Remember, nothing succeeds like imperfection. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks.